All right. Um, so I have um, a few pre-written, pre-ordained questions, and um, some of them I'll let you guys choose which one of you wants to answer it. I mean, if, if it's one that you feel like I would really like to speak to this, speak to it. Um, we'll pass the mic to you. If you don't, no worries. And if I call on somebody in particular to answer a question, don't get your feelings hurt because um, uh, you'll have plenty of time to, to talk with guys. Um, here is the, the first question. Uh, describe to us how you heard and sensed God's leading you to missions. How did you begin hearing that call or sensing that call or that leading? Who would like that one? I love, mov- I love movies. And um, I saw a movie about Hudson Taylor, the British uh, missionary to China back in the 1800s. And um, Hudson Taylor preached one night to a ton of Chinese people because there's so many of them. And afterwards, this man came up to Hudson Taylor and he said, how long have your people known about Jesus? Um, How would you answer that question? We've always known, right? Hudson Taylor said, we've always known. And the Chinese man said, why didn't anybody come tell us? In the middle of this movie, my heart just broke. And I just started praying, I'll go, please send me. Um, God had a lot of preparing for me, but he finally did send me (laughs) to Asia. Um, People need to know, and so many don't have a chance to. So somebody needs to go tell them. I I found myself in the seat that many of you are sitting in right now when I came to Auburn uh, as a university student. Uh, When I first moved to Auburn, and joined Lakeview, I saw people that were walking with the Lord uh, here in Auburn. They were running hard after him. And during my time at Lakeview, God began to show me through friends around me at Lakeview, through my own personal study in the Word, through at the time Cliff Knight's teaching in the college ministry, as a brother I was preaching on Sundays, consistently across all those inputs in my life, I saw that God had a heart for the nations. And as I was learning that, God just began to change my desires. I, when I came to Auburn, I wanted to be an astronaut. And God began to totally take that out of me. That desire was gone, and he gave me a new desire. Um, and that was just to, to spend my life taking the gospel to the nations. Um, and while I was at Auburn, I was really involved with, then it was Campus Crusade, but crew, and went to East Asia um, one summer for six weeks, and that just share talking with people about Jesus that really did not know about Jesus and wanted to know. You know, they're like, what did he do? And it was just real refreshing to hear somebody not just like, yeah, 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 I know God loves me. And so that kind of opened my eyes and Tiffany also and just encourage you while you're in college, have some free time, just take a trip, get out there, kind of see what it's like because God uses that a lot of times. And I'll say two things to that um he talked about take a take a trip and so sunday night after the sunday night service here in this room we're gonna have a a mission trip interest meeting um and it's gonna lay out most of the mission trips we're gonna be taking as a church um this year and you can learn where we're all in the world we're going and where god might be leading you in this coming year so take advantage of those there may not be another chance like this in your life to 
expand these horizons the way they are. The other thing I would say is, David mentioned how when he came to Auburn, he just met all these people who were following hard after Jesus and loved Jesus with all their heart. I got to ask you, who did you live with your first semester at Auburn? Kevin Webb. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, what is the greatest joy and the greatest struggle on the field? What's the greatest joy and the greatest struggle on the field? Uh, I'll pass this to someone who maybe did not answer the previous question. Greatest joy and greatest struggle on the field. Um, while, while the overseas, while, while the international guys think about this question, I want to direct, for just as a prime the pump, I want to direct this question to Gareth, wherever he is, because um, Gareth lives in London and works across Europe, but works primarily in London, so he lives in London, and he's right where he is. He's proclaiming Jesus. And so I want to know, uh, many of us, it, we almost feel it easier to t- tell someone in Indonesia about Jesus, but we don't go across the street and tell our neighbors about Jesus. So I want you to be the first one to prime that poem. What's your greatest joy and the greatest struggle on your field, your hometown? Thank you. Um, the the greatest joy um, in the work that we're involved with um, in London uh, is when uh, God's been working in someone's heart and brings them along in the street corner, and you have that privilege of sharing the gospel and asking a simple question like, what's stopping you from saying yes to Jesus? And when someone replies, nothing. And uh, you get that privilege of just being able to lead them in a prayer of repentance and faith and uh, for some people, it depends on the person. There have been times when, uh, with tears streaming down their eyes, we've knelt down on the pavement together and uh, just, just prayed uh, for, for Jesus to come and forgive them and make them a, a new creation. That would be one of the greatest joys. That's, I live for those moments. That's, that's when, yeah, that's the whole reason why, why we do what we do. And um, one of the, the biggest struggles um, would be... Uh, People's apathy in London, uh, more than antagonism, if they're angry with you, sometimes that's because God's speaking to them. But when there's just nothing, just walking past, hey, don't care, not interested, uh, that's, that's a struggle. Um, because you go, God, you know, just want you to reach, just break down those barriers and just reach into people's hearts. And, and I'm not going to change someone's heart, but it's, it's God who can open up those, those hearts. But that's, that can be a real struggle. So since Gareth already stole the best answer for what the greatest joy, I'll give the second one. Um, for me, one of the greatest joys, uh, I've spent most of my 20s in, in China, uh, and we spent the last year in Turkey. Uh, but one of the greatest joys has been seeing God in a whole new light. Uh, I went to church here when I was in high school. I remember Brother Al always saying that the gospel, you know, it is not confined by any kind of culture. It, it speaks to all cultures. And getting to see that lived out is really, really cool, um, and starting to understand how, uh, how God works in other cultures, how he, his, his word speaks perfectly to an American heart, just like it speaks perfectly to a Chinese heart, just like it speaks perfectly to a Saudi Arabian heart. Uh, there are no bounds on what he can do, and getting to actually experience that is just really freaking cool. Um, 
I'd say for me the biggest struggle has been um, it can be extremely isolating. Um, it, you know, it's especially if you don't speak the language or in the time period it takes to learn the language, uh, it, 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 it's very hard not having friends. It's very hard, uh, you know, going to the store and thinking that you're buying milk for your daughter and finding out that it's that it's iron, which is just really gross fake yogurt um, with salt in it. Um, so, I mean, it can be very isolating, which is quite humbling, but, um, you know, after about 48 hours of the isolation, it just becomes, it, it can make you feel really hopeless. And so, if, you know, I think one of the biggest struggles with, with overseas workers who um, deal with burnout is their expectations are every day is going to be like VBS. And most of them are, most of their days, depending on where you, the places where we've been, you know, a big struggle is like, okay, where can I get cheese? If I take a train, <laughs> you probably have done this, if I take a train for two hours this way, there's a city that has a, a place that has cheese. And so spending your entire weekend trying to find cheese and butter, that's a lot of what you do, just trying to live because you can't get in your car and drive to Super Target. But it's great, you can do it when you get here. Um, but just trying to, to live and dealing with the isolation that can come from figuring that out and not having anyone around you who can help you or who knows you really well. I think the joy is being able to see something so supernatural you can't explain it. Uh, being able to, to speak with a, a person who has actually seen Jesus in a dream and they describe that for you and how real it is. And it is so real to them and it becomes real to you when you can allow yourself to walk beyond what you can know or understand or explain. And you can hear them describe Jesus walking toward them. And they're hearing the voice of Jesus speaking. And then hearing their response at the end is so, I mean, it's so exciting to be able to, to be a part and hear something just like this. And, and uh, you have to allow yourself to become get to the point to where you expect him at any time, any place, and any way. And when you learn to take your hands off and kind of lay the sides of the boxes down and say, I'm just looking for Jesus. That's all I'm looking for. And then the way he appears is uh, it's really amazing. The Probably the difficult times for us and uh, especially when you live Jesus within community with, with, with Arabs, is that you come to attend a lot of funerals. There is nothing more gut-wrenching to us than going to a Muslim funeral. And we've been invited to a lot. And here you are standing around, you know, the grave and and you see all the family members that you know and that you have shared truth with, and you watch them, the expressions on their faces. You know, when they lay an aunt or an uncle, father, mother, brother, or sister, and you watch this, and you see this day after day after day. And the lostness at that time for us is so overwhelming. That's where we, I think, we struggle the most. 
because uh, I'm going to start with Dwight on this question, but then uh, it can go any, anyone else that wants to answer. Dwight, what does disciple-making look like in your context? Here in the States or over in the old context? And th this is an adjustment, too, that you have to make to living in Islam. And when you learn to disciple men, like, well, like I do, that's what I do here mainly. And when you look at it in an Islamic context, you're beginning at lostness. And then you're modeling the person and becoming the image of, of Jesus within that context. And you have to understand where you're where your starting point is and where you're going. They never have seen a picture of Jesus. And we have to become him among them in order for them to understand or even consider what that would look like for them. Does that make sense? And then what you begin to do is you start modeling this life of Christ in front of them. Picture it this way. And this is what it would look like in our context. In our living room, you have about four or five Arabs just sitting on the floor. And you just open to one of the NGOs. The gospel. Saw some blank looks there. But uh, to the NGOs. And then you begin to read in the NGOs, like say from the book of John each week, maybe two or three times a week with each other, then what happens is that you have to have a real strong belief in the Holy Spirit of God. And then how the Holy Spirit of God will begin to reveal himself through his word. And then when you begin to start walking through them, with them, even though they are lost, you begin to hear some things in them, sometimes you'd say, they know him. And it's incredible how the Holy Spirit will walk them through his word and reveal himself to the point they come and, and the light bulb just comes on. And then they, says, they say to you, or you get the understanding, I'm ready to consider Isa Almasih. And when it gets to that point, wow, isn't that exciting? You know, when, it, when you get to that point and, the, and you're letting the Holy Spirit of the Word actually do the work for you, and then the light bulb comes on, and then they start speaking some truths of Jesus, and they take you from people like us from looking at Jesus from this vantage point, and then all of a sudden you're looking at Jesus. Then you learn to look at Jesus from this vantage point, then how do you see Jesus through you? You see a picture of Jesus that's a lot more clear than you've ever seen him before. And they're actually describing him to you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Say amen to that. Thank you very much. I, I needed that. Uh, but that's how you begin walking them toward it. It's kind of what we call shadow discipling a little bit 
all the way to salvation. Sometimes you can use the storing, a lot of stories like that, but what we found work for us is in the word, we read it, then they tell us what they're seeing and hearing. And then, boy, they see Jesus. Wow. That's when it really gets exciting. And then you see Jesus like you've never seen him before. How many of you would like to see Jesus like you've never seen him before? Okay, then. i got a plane out here ready for you. Ready to go. See how ready you are. Okay. Yeah, so I think what Dwight says is spot on. Uh, I will say that uh, a lot of times it's messy. Discipleship is messy. I mean, people, they'll believe and they'll walk with you and they'll come alongside of you and they'll, they'll shadow what you're doing. And then they'll kind of turn back and you'll take two steps back and maybe you get a step forward and you take two steps back. Sometimes it's really difficult uh, and it's discouraging at times. Other times... Uh, and it takes a lot of time. I mean, it takes meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, and sometimes multiple times a week for, for a number of hours. Um, but it's exciting, like Dwight said, when somebody gets it and they begin to show you a picture of Jesus that maybe you've never seen before, or they catch a vision for their own people. And I had a guy tell me one time, um, that he saw the need that his people had for Jesus, and he wanted to take the gospel to them. And so when you're, when you're able to walk alongside of them and to see those just beautiful moments when they, when they get it, when they catch the vision, and that they see uh, their need for Jesus and the need of those around them for Jesus. Um, so... As Kelly mentioned, we work with Bible translation thing, and so our primary job over there isn't evangelism, discipleship, but it, opportunities come. And one of the things I just wanted to say is just kind of as you live your life among people, that um, part of it is just what you end up doing over here, where, where you look for the people that God puts in your lives, and sometimes you find them, and sometimes they find you. Um, but being faithful to those opportunities that God gives you when they come. Um, kind of part two. Um, so with Bible translation, I, I'm actually not really going to be the guy that's doing the translating for the most part. It's going to be local people from that language community that are doing the translation or drafts, and then we go over things together. And I, I sort of like to call it a, our decade-long Bible study um, because this is going to take a while, and we're going to go through every passage in the New Testament, and we're going to go through it so that these people that we're working with can understand the meaning of the text and express it in their own words because they have to because no one said it in their language before. Um, and so that's something that we get really excited as, as we, you know, Bible translation, a lot of times we think in product, we get New Testament in people's hands, we get the Word of God in people's hands, but we also get it well before that, working through people, especially in the lives of the translators. Um, and there's countless stories about how people have been impacted through that as working as part of the translation team. The only thing I want to add to that, uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but although th there are slightly different nuances, the basic ingredients were the same. And it sounded like to me that if you had to leave where you are and come back here and make disciples, you wouldn't do anything really different. The point is, 
if you don't make if you're not making disciples here, you're not magically going to start making disciples there. Um, what does your pattern? I'm going to our friends in northern Uganda. What does your pattern of abiding in Christ and resting look like? Abiding. Uh, I think my friend Dwight, who's forgotten more about missions than I'll probably ever know, uh, talked about abiding in Christ the other day. And uh, I, I tell you what, for me and for everybody, uh, I think the key ingredient is his word. Uh, uh, for the last two years, I think I have my relationship with God uh, being uh, primary inside my life, uh, abiding in him, I have to be just integrated into his word day in, day out as we do the mission work God has called us to do. Uh, some of my favorite times is in the morning I get up, my wife starts homeschooling at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting, I'm, I'm studying uh, scripture while she's sitting and teaching scripture to my kids. And, and my time along with God helps me rest and I actually am missing that right now because we are on a schedule and so busy and and some there's days where I go man I hadn't even opened the Bible today and I miss it and uh, I feel like I'm not abiding with him today uh, so uh, so so that's where it starts and ends with with me uh, do you have a different uh, answer that you'd like to share okay so so uh, God's word uh, it is the living water that we need to to drink every day, and uh, that's that's what I. This kind of this ties with discipleship and abiding in Christ. There, when I was at Auburn before, I got this little book, and I think that was also from Crew. It's called Master Plan of Evangelism um, by Robert Coleman. It just took a few hours to read. I never read it until about three years ago. I had it for like seventeen years, and I took it. It was just this little free small book. And we were really focusing more on discipleship and what we were doing overseas. And I just like saw it, and I was like, man, I never read this thing. And I read it, and it is just so good. You know, like God himself came to this world, and that was his plan to reach the world, not by, like, reaching, you know, thousands, whatever. He just got these 12 guys, three of me focus on more than others. So I'd encourage you to read that book. And it's just a lot of abiding in Christ, listen to what God's saying to you. It's not just yourself it's like through others being really integrated with others and a big thing in america we don't have much time and it's just kind of like oh man i want to meet with this guy for one hour or something but if you can really integrate focus and be a part of other people's lives you know that'll help you abide in christ like in the community aspect while at the same time you're doing it on a personal level and discipleship happens at the same time so i just encourage you to read that book It's it's exact it's like discipleship. It's the same here in the states as it is overseas. You gotta you gotta be in the Word. You gotta pray. Find some habit of self reflection for me. It's journaling. It's not that for everybody. And then don't do it alone. Do it in community. It's the same anywhere in the world. And I'll I'll give a plug for the Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman too. It's one of those books. If you've never read it, you need to read it. It's also one of those books. If you've read it, you need to read it again, because. Um, I remember reading it about 15 years ago going, wow, this is awesome. And then I read it again last year, and I went, wow, this is awesome. And I, me I remember re seeing, th seeing things, I was like, I totally forgot this was even in the book. This is awesome. And so just read it and read it and read it again. 
um, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. I didn't see anybody writing that down, so I'll say it a third time. The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. Um, <clears throat> all right, I'm going to say, hey, Thomas, this is Thomas. Hey, Thomas is going to London. Uh, I'm going to direct this to our friends at Pioneers and Cafe 1040. If I'm planning to go to the field, what should I be doing right now? Yeah, um, getting involved with internationals here. Um, I talked to a student today who is looking to, looking to move into an apartment with a, bu a bunch of guys from the Middle East. Um, that's, pretty, that's pretty extreme. <laughs> He's really getting after it and considering what would it, what would it be like to really immerse myself. Um, talked to a lot of students who will invite internationals home for Thanksgiving and Christmas and invite them into their home. And just, just intentionally building relationships and loving on them uh, that way. I think I even, um, yeah, I talked to a student a couple days ago, actually. Um, said, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with uh, a guy from the Middle East and asked him to teach me Arabic. I'm like, man, what a neat way to, to build a relationship. And they're, they're going to walk through scripture a little bit in that. And, um, yeah, I think for, for my wife and I, we, when we first got married, prayed, Lord, would you just give, give us an idea of what kind of people or place that you would send us someday? Um, that was about a decade ago. And he moved us into an apartment complex of 1,500 Indian families. <laughs> and uh, our kids have, have grown up being pinched on the, on the cheeks here in the States um, by Indian grandmas. And um, so, yeah, yeah, start with prayer and then just get involved with internationals here. Um, I would kind of say what a lot of people have said. Start with abiding in Christ first. Because if you can't do it here, you're not going to do it overseas. And if you can't have Google and if you can't have a bunch of Bible books and everything like that, you got to have it now. Um, start discipling. Start getting involved in all of that. Um, and I also would say don't do what I did. Involve your parents now. I involved my parents when I told them I was going to North Africa and said, hey, I'm going. So don't do that. Um, get them involved now. Get them praying for you. Pray for them because it's, I'm going single, so it's not easy for my parents to send me to that area of the world single. So start now. I would say learn how to share the gospel clearly and succinctly now in English and do it. Like practice with your roommate, practice with your parents, practice with a sibling, and then share with someone share with people because when you get overseas there's many more barriers there's culture shock and then there's a different language and so if you can't do it in English and you can't do it now then it's not just going to magically pop and you be able to do it when you're trying to do it in Arabic like we were and so find whatever method or way that you feel comfortable doing it and learn it well and practice it and then share now and so I think Jared and I'm um, have learned how we share well with Muslims, and it's a first sacrifice and last sacrifice story that we tell. Um, and so we've even, since we've been stateside, have have used it here, and used it with, we live in Birmingham on our stateside, and um, have shared with many Muslims in Birmingham. And many of them, there were, I met a lady last week, or two weeks ago, who uh, my friend and I shared, had breakfast with and shared with, and she's a Muslim who's lived in, in America for 11 years and never heard the whole gospel. 
And so that's just heartbreaking. And so, like, learn to share your, the gospel now where you have resources and where you have people you can practice with and where you can get comfortable doing it. Um, and that will go a long way for when, if you want to serve overseas. Or if you don't, you'll still be able to do it here where you're supposed to be doing it anyway. And <clears throat> can I say on that note, because that's a good note, that I, she talked about learn how to share the gospel clearly and succinctly, which means short in a short way, concise way. Part of the problem, the, part of the reason we don't share the gospel as much as we should, maybe is because we feel like we're not good with words and don't know how to put it in a succinct way. I fear, and I believe, that the main reason we don't is because of fear of man. And, uh, and that, we, we began with this, that, that John Piper quote, that missions exist because worship doesn't. Well, evangelism across the street doesn't happen either because worship in our hearts and, and fear of man is greater than fear of God and awe of God. Um, and just uh, don't, yeah, work hard to be able to, to share the gospel succinctly and practice it over and over again. But that, that's connected to abiding in Christ and getting in his word like we've been talking about and just becoming overawed with God such that fear of man is just not an issue. If you're afraid of man in Auburn, Alabama, you will be afraid of man somewhere else in the world. You will be. All right. Um, uh, all right. All right, East, so I'm sitting here right next to you. What are the biggest obstacles that might keep me from the field? This is an easy one. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the ones that has been a huge, huge obstacle for us is family. Um, we do not have believing family on either side, and they... Um, they some, say some of the most hurtful things. And so um, persevering through that has been difficult. We have had to do a lot of abiding, a lot of seeking God's word, a lot of um, turning toward people who can, who encourage us in this process. Um, so family's a big one. Um, for us, another one has been financial. We have had to raise 100% of our support, and so um, that can sometimes be a process, and we have had to learn how to um, glorify God in our partnerships, and yeah, in those um, those types of things. I think another, he, he just mentioned it, is expectations. Um, those are huge. If you expect an adventure, if you accept, expect an easy process if you expect um yeah there, there's just if you can have these expectations of what it would look like and um it's just not gonna look like that <laughs> most of the time and so um yeah we've just learned through this process to just trust in the lord through all the ups and downs through all the obstacles um seeking him walking in obedience where we are right now and um, yeah. I would say 
okay, I remember being in college. No, I was a senior in high school, and uh, do y'all know Joanne Warman? Is she here still? Okay, so I was her youngest, I was friends with her youngest daughter, Josie, and she went up to Josie one night and said, here's a great major for you when you go to Auburn next year. You can do this, you can do this, you can go to mis- you go into missions. And she said, no thanks, I want to get married and have kids. And I'll say this because I bet a lot of you ladies think if I go overseas, I will never get married and have kids. That's not necessarily true. It could be true, but the fear of not having this thing that you might have wanted since you were a little girl, it, I mean, marriage is great, kids are great, don't get me wrong, but what is better than having brothers and sisters with Christ? You know, there's, um, it, it keeps a lot of people off the field, and it shouldn't. I'll also say this, if you're not going because you're in a relationship and you think it's, it's, it might not work if you spend a summer or a semester or a year overseas, probably wouldn't go make it anyways. So just go and see what God does. Um, I'll kind of answer like some of the three questions and tie it up to this last one. Um, when I went on my first short-term trip um, was to Kenya, and I remember being on the airplane and I don't have these moments a lot, um, and I felt like God kind of, I kind of put my, in my head, I'm like spinning these thoughts like, you know what, I, I could do this full time, um, but I want to get married and I want to have kids. That was like, that, that was that thought, and just like God kind of sat down in the airplane seat, and he kind of looked at me and he said, am I not enough? And I was like, yeah, you're enough. And like, and that was my, that was what I needed to put my go on the table. And I went as a journeyman um, to Tanzania, East Africa, and um, God really did some sweet things um, in my life um, and and through me and some really hard things. Um, but one of the sweet things, really quickly, was um, He used another girl that was from Auburn um, and was teaching at the same school I was. And she looked at me one day. Um, on somebody's island where we were having we were having a meal, and she said, um, "Hey, I've got this friend. His name his name is Caleb. He's he's a marine in Okinawa, and I think you guys would be good for each other." And so this is my marine in Okinawa from Okinawa. So he was enough. All right, I got two more questions, and then we'll we'll spend a, just a few minutes. If any of you have any questions, just two more though. Um, talk about how. Think, think, think as a college student. So t- talk about how to consider God's call or what you perceive to be God's call on your life to missions while a single person. Whether that, whether that means, that could, that could go a couple of ways. Uh, you, you won't remain single the rest of your life, but you sense before, before you're dating or married, you sense a God's call to missions. You're a single person receiving that call. How do you consider that at that point in your life? Or maybe even God is calling you to be single for the rest of your life, and how does that impact in any way you being on the field as a single person? Um, I would just say um, to all of you, live a life of purity. And I mean that in the best possible way, not a mama way. But, like, I mean that. You you don't want to have those regrets. And when you do get on the field, Satan will throw those lies up in your face and say, you have no reason to be here because you did X, Y, Z. Are you just so like, try, you know, 
with the help of the Holy Spirit, live a life of purity. Um, what you do, what you say, what you see, um, who you're friends with, who you're dating. Um, and I don't say it to brag. I don't, th- I don't say it to brag. I just say it was the grace of God um, and for, for his, his purposes in my life. And I just really praise him for that. Um, so, yeah, r- really live a life of purity in, in all things. Um, and just m- when you do that, like you're going to be abiding and he's going to be enough and he's going to meet your every need. Um, and so that's just that's just one of the things. Um, I, this is just simple. Just be intentional with who you pursue. Just uh, really just keep in mind of like what you want and what this other person wants and be honest about that and be honest with yourself. Um, we didn't get married. I think, well, we've been married for three years now. Um, I was 35 when we got married. And, you know, before that, honestly, I I didn't want a wife. I didn't want a relationship. Um, and honestly, that was a part of my life. I was honestly running from God. And the lights just went out. <laughs> that happens when you run from God. It turns dark. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Completely lost. Yeah, well played. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, and it's just like, it's one of those things like God really works on you with, like, you know, all through my 20s, like, I knew, you know, I, I wanted God as one of those things I ran away from, and it's like, no, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it, and that's going to be single, and I want to be awesome, right? So, I, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to move to Alaska, I wanted to be a hunting and fishing guide, I wanted to run an adventure, adventure travel tourism company, and that's what I did. And, uh, you know, I looked at other people for years that were, um, that were married and had kids. And I looked at, at a guy, and I was like, oh, man, he's got those kids. Like, ah, this has got to be terrible. Then I turned about 33, and I see a guy, you know, pushing his girl on a swing. And I'm like, that is so sweet. <laughs> I'm like, what? No. What is happening to me? So it was one of those things, like, like she said, be pure and be be. Be honest with yourself. And once God did change that in my heart, he pursued me. And that is what led me to uh, pursue Lauren, someone who uh, has been faithful to God and has served overseas and continuing to serve overseas. And that's uh, the life that we live now. Um, I would just say, like, let God write your story. Um, Jared and I were both called to missions in high school, but we didn't know each other. And I went to Georgia Tech, and um, he went to Auburn again. We didn't know each other, but um, we met here at Auburn when I came to grad school. And, um, like, two months before we started dating, I was in the application process for journeyman. And um, because I was, God had called me to missions, and I knew that's what he called me to do. And so I was willing and ready to go as, like, as a single knowing, like, okay, Lord, this is what you've called me to um, and then, like, two months later, we spent our first day at Sonic on South College Street um, talking about our call to missions, and we're engaged three months later and married a year later, and then now we serve on the field. And so um, I desired to get married and have children and, and serve with my husband, but then I also knew that this is what God had called me to do, and, like, so I was going to pursue it um, because I knew that's what he had called me to do. So don't, 
just let God write your story. If it means serving single, then that's awesome. Praise the Lord and, and fight hard and like run hard after that. And if it means, um, you know, finding a husband or a wife and serving with them, then do that. But let him write the story and don't try to put what you think you want or need into your story. Um, so some of my story, uh, before I met Andrew, um, I was actually engaged and that is when the Lord called me to a trip in East Africa. And when I went, I was just going, (laughs) I wasn't even, um, I, I just thought, okay, this would be the next good thing, good Christian thing to do. And, um, on that trip is when the Lord called me overseas And when I came back, the man I was engaged to um, was against it. He said, no, I I am not. And so then I I kind of convinced myself, okay, then that that must not be right because I thought I should marry this man. I'm engaged. And and so for about eight months, I fought God on that call. And... um, the Lord had to intervene in a very, very harsh way. Um, so two months before the wedding, my fiance actually left me for my maid of honor. <laughs> um, but all of that to say, looking back now, seeing how, because um, through that hurt and that pain, the Lord really solidified my call overseas. And I had kind of fought him for it, wanting that marriage, wanting that spouse um, when that wasn't who I was called to be with. And so um, uh, a little bit after that in the summer, I started actually looking at the journeyman program. I was about an hour, uh, a year away from graduation. And, um, yeah, started pursuing that. Um, and a while later into that process, I actually met Andrew. And... Um, that was one of our first big things to hammer out was, you know, I feel called overseas, and that has to be confirmed or um, this can't happen. So, um, yeah, I would just kind of what all of the, them have said, just make sure that um, you're really following what the Lord has called you to and that um, I had more joy in those eight months thinking I was going to be a single journeyman than I had the eight months that I was fighting to stay with my fiance. And so, um, yeah, just pursuing what the Lord has called you to. Um, Whatever your objections might be, just get in your prayer closet and hash it out with God. Um, Because that was sort of my experience that I felt this idea that, and I had, I had a plan I had a plan for my life, and this wasn't it. Um, and every single thing that I threw up at God, he knocked it down and said, what do you have left? Um, and, yeah, so just, he's big, he can take it, wrestle with God, and you'll have no doubt at the end. Last question. Um, we say in, in uh, Brother Al says all the time, go, sin, or disobey. Um, and so what if we have someone here who knows that God, God, they don't perceive that God's calling into cross-cultural missions themselves, you know, full-time or whatever. So I need to send or, and, and advocate. 
uh, or I'm disobeying. So how how can what are ways that um, those who are here at home how can they best advocate for you and and uh, and support you uh, on the field? Uh, something that probably everyone up here has um, has lived through is the first few months you're on the field. Everybody loves you. Everybody sends you awesome candy and all this stuff that they don't have, and they write you emails, and then they forget about you, and that really sucks. Um, keep in touch with people, even if it's just one person, and you're like, I'm going to. We have a, a friend. He he emailed us every single week, and it would just be like he's like in his 70s. Like today, I planted some gladiolas, and they're beautiful. I mean, I we don't really care that he planted gladiolas. Yeah, in America, but you know. He, we knew he did not forget about us. Um, and on a similar vein, when missionaries come back, you know, we're taught to have like a 30-second, you know, everyone's like, oh, how was it? How was it? And there's supposed to be like a 30-second version, a one-minute version. Most people, like five minutes is kind of tops. Sit down and listen to their stories and ask them, you know, don't just ask them how awesome was that? How many people did you lead to the Lord? Because a lot of the places that we're in, it takes years for that to happen, and it can be extremely disheartening, especially if you have a lot of pressure from your sending church or your team leader or, um, or yourself. Um, and uh, just listen to their stories, and don't just ask them what was great. Ask them what the hardest thing was. Ask them, say, if you could go back and, you know, do one thing differently, what would that be? Really listen to them, because a lot of people miss being known. They miss being listened to. And when we come back here, you know, we have 10 minutes in front of the congregation on Sunday morning or Sunday night, and we're not going to talk about the day that we, you know, took a four-hour train to another city to find butter, only to realize that for some reason the store was closed, and we cried all the four hours back. It, and that stuff is really difficult. And listen to those things and be truly interested in them. And also realize that they are not just a minister. They're a person. They like TV shows like you do. They have hobbies like you do. They have family that they miss like you do. They have family that they can't stand like you do. Get to know them as a person instead of just like, oh, this is my missionary friend. Just say, this is my friend. And they happen to live overseas and share the gospel there instead of here in Auburn. Um, I totally echo what, what she said. Um, I don't know. I think one of the things the be one of the things that you guys can do for us is to be church in America. And I, and I don't mean that, like, totally cliche. Like, it just blesses my soul to, like, see young people um, like you guys that love Jesus and just and letting us know you care about us and, like, you love Jesus too. And, you know, that Muslim that is in your class, you're reaching out, that Hindu, that old lady across the street who maybe thinks that she's a Christian, but she's not. So you be in church to each other. You be in church and being healthy in America, like, you know, you may, not, you may not be the one to go overseas, but maybe you are discipling somebody else so that they can go. Or maybe you have shared Jesus with somebody, that one person that takes it back to their Hindu village or takes it back to their Buddhist friend. And so I just encourage you to just love Jesus and love, love Jesus well and love the church. Um, and, you know, that sometimes includes, like, going into your pocketbook um, and and, and, you know, bringing it out for, you know, the mission organizations who are either self-supported or through the IMB who give um, 
cooperatively. And, you know, maybe you have been blessed to, um, you know, you have got these, like, creative ideas. And you, I don't know, just, it's just kind of like you leverage what you have and the gifts that God has given you um, where you are for the time that God has put you here. You know, and so I just, um, I just want to say thanks. You're an encouragement to me to see um, you guys here. And just like, here's a like silly example. I didn't even know you were here, but you led an excellent tour, and you did that thing with excellence. And so I think, you know, where you are, do it with excellence, and that brings glory to Jesus, and that helps us to bring glory to Him overseas. And so on that note, um, when you have mingling time in just a minute. Um, Maybe find out how to get in touch with these guys. And uh, and they may not be able to tell you exactly where they live, but they can tell you their email address. <laughs> and uh, and maybe take it upon your your missional community group to to uh, in, hold each other accountable, but be intentional about following up with these guys to encourage them. Just to, we don't want to go all night long, but like if any of you have, like take five or ten minutes, if any of you have any questions that you want to direct to anybody up here or just to any of them, raise your hand and you can ask it. Or here, two of them. You first, hat. Okay, so I wrestled with that too, like the call, the call. What is that? You know, like I, I wanted a text message. I didn't have text messages when I was in high school. But, um, you know, how do you know? And I would say, do you want to do it? I mean, I, so I was a cheerleader in high school. I didn't feel called to do it. I just wanted to, you know. Uh, and and just because you go overseas, it doesn't mean you're signing a 50-year, you know, lease. You can try it for a year. And if you don't like it, you know, if if being overseas or being in that particular context is not for you, God's going to make it very clear. So, I mean, just if you want to do it, do it. And try it out. See if it fits. Start taking the steps and see if he opens and closes doors. But start. I've heard someone say, do you got the time, the talent, and the opportunity to, uh, to do it? And if those things are yes, you have time, talent, opportunity, and a sense of humor, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and if God opens up those doors, then, then man, go follow Jesus to wherever whatever door he opens up uh and uh and let me t- just tell you a quick story uh from my side is that I-, I was in the army for 20 years got out of the army uh was a pastor for a short time and my wife uh very uh mission-minded and hearted god had just been impressing things upon her heart and she came to me one day and i'd been in some hard parts of the world and uh, i didn't want to go back and uh, she, uh, she came to me and she said, Jamie, how's this going to work out? Uh, she said, I've got such a heart, a burden. And I said, I don't know, sweetie. Let's, let's just depend upon God. And God used my wife being heavily involved in, in missions uh, at our church. And she went on a mission trip. She came back and I saw something in this woman that lit a fire up underneath me. And it changed my heart. I said, God, whatever it is that she experienced, I want to experience this. I saw Saw it, and so so God used that to catapult me into the importance of going. And I would just add to that: if you're not sure if if foreign missions or, or stateside missions is your calling, go on mission trips. 
Go on as many mission trips as you can afford to go on. Raise money. Sell T-shirts. Take the time that God has given you while you're single, while you're young, and go. Go to many different places. Um, and, and, and God will tell you. He, he's very faithful in making it very clear the plans that he has for your life. If we'll just listen to what he has to say. I got it first, so it's my turn, all right? Uh, um, there's an excellent resource out there that addresses this particular question, how to discern God's call in your life. Is, is he calling me to missions? It's called The Missionary Call, written by David Sills. And in that, he goes through, he, he explains, you know, God calls people in a variety of ways. Uh, and so if we all on this panel went through and explained to you how God calls us, he, he called us all. I'm sure, very differently. Uh, and so I would encourage you to check out that resource. It's called The Missionary Call by David Seals. Bro, I'm trying to find you. Hey, I would, say, uh, I would say the prayer can often sound like, God, should I go? But I actually think the prayer should be worded in another way. I think the prayer is actually, God, why should I stay? Now think about this. The need is absolutely clear. The command is absolutely clear. And the promise that he will be with us, he will give us power, and he will never leave us or forsake us is absolutely clear. So the question isn't, God, should I go? When when he's this clear, the question then becomes something very different. God, why should I stay? How are you going to use me here? Because if I'm not going, then what is it that needs to be done around here, right? Who are the people that are going to get reached in Raleigh? Who are the the people that we're going to get marketable skills and degrees like pharmacy, and we're going to move into a small town, and we're going to bivocational pastor that joint from a Walgreens, right? Like, like if I'm not going, if I'm not going, what's getting done, right? And then I would say, then I would say, when we start thinking about this, then it becomes, okay, like, how has God skilled you and gifted you? You know, like, what are you just naturally good at, you know? Then just look around, like, what's broken around you? Like, what are the problems that need fixing? Like, what are the problems in these communities, families? Like, what can we fix? And then number three, how do we stretch those gifts to meet those needs, right? If you're not going to go, that becomes the way we have to think if God gives us a clear reason why we should be here when he's so clear about the other way around. So I, don't, I actually don't think it's a prayer. God, are you calling me? I think it's a prayer. God, why, why should I stay? I just said, um, whatever you, you know, we all have things real important to it, relationships or what our plans are in the future, but just kind of have your hand open, you know, not too tight holding on to these things. And there may be a timing thing. Like when I got, I felt something, the Lord might be leading me to missions in the future, but I feel like out of Auburn going to the Marine Corps, that was the Lord as well. And then, you know, met Tiffany and that just felt like, okay, yeah, we were supposed to meet, get together. We're supposed to move that direction now. So it's not necessarily, if you're really following the Lord, you're all going to go overseas tomorrow. There might be other stuff, but just make sure it's not like, you know, these things you're holding on to that's keeping you back, but you're always like seeking the Lord's guidance because he'll use all kinds of stuff in your life to move you where he wants you to go. I asked, there's a kind of a guru in our country who like has a, um, has led a lot of people to the Lord. And I said, I don't know why I asked this question. It's kind of dumb now that I think about it. I was like, you know, how do you know if they're kind of like open to the gospel? He was like, 
the gospel is the filter. And so, like, you're like, okay, should I spend time with this person? Well, if you're thinking, well, maybe I'll get a chance to share the gospel with them eventually, that's not the, that's not the question. Like, if you love them and they trust you, like, share the gospel with them, and that's your filter. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's who, like, okay, this is a person that I should disciple, you know, um, or, like, this is a person that I need to invest time in because God's working in their heart. You know, if they're like, get lost, buddy, I can't stand you, that may not be the person you're supposed to spend time with right then, you know. Um, but for me as a mom, like, our house is an, is an open door, and, you know, they'll just be ladies. They'll just, like, come in. And one time this lady, she just kept coming to the house, and I was like, okay, if she comes back, you know, to my house tomorrow, like, I'm like, I'm going from A to Z sharing the whole gospel with her. She came back the next day. Like, she'd be, and I, she'd trying to send me flowers. And I, like, kept telling her, no, 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 no. It's like, if she comes back again, um, I'm going to, you know, like, share the gospel with her. So it's just kind of like, it's just kind of that daily abiding dependence on the Lord, like, who he brings into your life, who he brings to your door, who he, you know, connects you with, who you're sitting with, and they tell you, hey, you know, 10 years ago I had this dream about Jesus and nobody's ever told me what this meant. You know, just those kind of those kind of people. Yeah, it takes human wisdom and you can never know for sure. And they would just say, this is another plug for Master Plan of Evangelism because, uh, you know, Jesus, he has, you know, omniscient. He knows better than us. But it takes a lot of wisdom and that does make a lot of difference in what you do overseas because, Sometimes you get a invest in a relationship, get burned, and then it's just like messes up your time. Other times it goes great. So you're going to have a mix. Once again, don't hold too tight and put too much on that person, but you just got to use wisdom and body and spirit. And I would say also, as I tell our leaders, fat people uh, are good, faithful, available, and teachable. Um, like you don't want to have to be dragging people into meeting together or reading the word with you. The people who demonstrate some sort of initiative and uh, and and desire, those are the people that tend to be the obvious ones to gravitate toward. See, you you got you do if you want us to record it. Look ahead. <laughs> Anybody? Oh, you got one? Okay. I see that hand. I would also say, and for most people, uh, you know, the decision to follow Christ, it's not a, you know, like a lot of Christians in the West can be like, I became a Christian on December 17th, 1997. Uh, in a lot of cultures, that's not how it works. It's a process. And so, you know, if you share with somebody, if you're investing with somebody, and they're just kind of interested, I don't just toss them to the side because they're not accepting. Uh, you know, I have friends who have Chinese friends who've had it for a decade. Who, when I met them ten years ago, they were they didn't they were either angry at God or they didn't believe there was a God, and they've just slowly, 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 slowly moved. And you know, I may never get to to see them uh, believe that maybe somebody else who leads them to Christ. But even if you are just one step along the way. You know, our heart, a lot of hearts, we think of it as like they have a wall. If your job is to just have conversations about what is love, 
what is love? Or what, um, what does honor mean? Uh, you're just taking one stone away. Just because you don't get to share the entire gospel or just because you don't get to see them led to Christ doesn't mean you shouldn't be involved in their lives. And I believe uh, our Lord gives us a, a great example, uh, you know, as we look at who do we disciple that come into our lives. And, uh, and uh, while, while our Lord never turned away uh, the mass, uh, uh, he spoke to them. He also had his 12 that he poured into deeply, uh, even though one betrayed him. So I, I think that uh, we also have to uh, look at that and go, you know, who do I have the ability to pour all my, my soul into uh, in discipleship? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, sometimes we can be a mile wide and only an inch deep, but I believe that the better way is being very deep uh, with uh, a limited amount of people, and maybe that is something we could uh, say about discipleship. What was the question again? <laughs> I haven't held the mic in a long time. <laughs> to go live among them. You know, uh, I think one thing that amazes maybe us, um, you know, there's different dialects of Arabic. And what always amused me with the company, we, we were with the company, right? We can say this, right? Um and traveling to in different Arab countries, there are different dialects. And uh, you try to learn the dialect of the people that you're going to be living the life of Christ among. Uh, sometimes um, the company takes a little bit of a shortcut. And um, you learn a certain dialect of Arabic in a certain country okay so far okay and uh, then when you get in country you're noticed more for the Arabic that you speak maybe in a, or Jordanian Arabic instead of a Saudi Arabic so okay so far I'm good. Okay. Well, see, they don't, they don't pay me anymore. So I, I can say whatever I want to. Uh, <laughs> but it, but it's best to, to learn the language in the dialect and the culture where you're going to be living. That, that's the purest way. But, but in all honesty, there are companies that uh, some of us here have represented over the years. Uh, and, for <laughs> and for cost effectiveness, uh, you will learn a good Arabic, or what, it could be any language, and uh, and then it gives you a, kind of the foundation that when you get in country, that you have to learn the nuances of the, of the of the new language, and they can tell the difference. Very good. Um, Learn how you learn language. I know that sounds funny, but you may not figure it out until you get there, until you get overseas. But I think the best way he said it is learn in-country. Jared and I learned very differently. He, um, we both had tutors for a year and a half straight. We studied Arabic and um, every, every morning for three hours. And he, but then afterwards, he would just go out and, like, talk to people all the time. 
and wasn't afraid to make mistakes. And I'm very like, I want to get it right. Like, I want to know exactly what I'm going to say so that I don't say that I want to buy, like, I don't know, a shoe when I really want a pumpkin or whatever. And so just learn how you learn and then pursue it hard and study hard. I mean, it's it just, uh, they tell us all the time in training, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. It is a marathon, but you will finish. The, well, okay. You don't finish the marathon ever. You get to a good place in the marathon where you feel comfortable. But like it's, but then it, it's like a lifelong thing. So like we still study, even though we've hit the level and like we're fluent in it. But we still study because we're not native speakers. So don't be afraid to make mistakes. They're, Jared's really good at that. Talk to lots of people. Get out and use it. And then know that it takes time. But the more you get out and use it, the faster that marathon is going to be. good well I'm gonna I, that was good that was helpful um, and I hope it was to you it was for me I'm gonna pray for us and then we can just hang out as long as you want to hang out if you need to leave you can leave but these guys will hang out for a little while there's ice cream over there you know what to do father thank you so much for um, this 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 night this conversation I uh, it, it was so rich and and so uh, helpful in so many ways I pray that um, that our students were encouraged by it. I pray that our missionaries were also encouraged by it. And um, pray that you were glorified in all of it. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.